I want to thank you before we get started. Um, many of you know that uh, this is my 20th year as pastor of the church and almost 30 years of serving here. And uh, it's been a privilege to serve this church and just see what God has done over the many years. And uh, I just want to thank you. Many of you have sent cards and uh, emails and uh, just thank you for your kind words and your encouragement. And uh, I'm not good at saying thank you, but thank you. And uh, I appreciate uh, your acknowledgement of that. Well, we are continuing the series, Fixer Upper, and we're talking about renovating relationships. And today we're talking about renovating relationships with our spouse. Now, some of you are probably in the room who are single and you're like, who cares? Well, anyway, just bear with us, okay? Now you'll know better how to pray for your parents as a result of this, okay? But one day, maybe God will bring someone into your life, and I want you to be ready for it. I want you to understand what God is attempting to do when it comes to what we're going to be talking about, which will be a little uncomfortable for you, and that's intimacy in marriage. Now, I want to ask you a simple question this morning. Which of these houses would you say best represents your marriage right now. Go ahead, let's throw the first one up here. <laughs> now, for all practical purposes, this is still a house. It may not be livable, you may not be able to live in it, but it's still a house. I, I would dare say that we would probably have to take the whole thing down and possibly even rebuild the foundation. Wouldn't you agree? And, and I hate to say this, but some of our marriages may represent this. We're, to get to the root causes, to get to where we really need to go with your marriage, I've been there. My marriage has been there. When I was talking about this at the 930, my wife was sitting there shaking her head like, yes, we've been there. We've been there. Well, we had to tear it all down and start over and, and put it on a firm foundation. Secondly, maybe this is your house. It's a little bit bare, better. Um, maybe we can work with some things uh, with that, but it still needs work. Wouldn't you agree? Okay. Uh, the third house. This is a house that's still livable. You can go into this home. Uh, you can tell there's been no recent investments in this house, <laughs> but you can live in it. I mean, look at how things have grown over on it. Uh, rusty roof. Uh, uh, obviously, someone's living in it. There's a lazy boy on the porch. And, uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, this is a home that uh, needs some work, some investment. And, and maybe that's where your marriage is today. You're living in it. You're comfortable but it's really not what it all can be. How about this one? Don't you love this house? I mean, look at this house. It's well-kept. You can tell there's been recent investments. Uh, you can tell, I mean, look at it. it, has character. I mean, this is the kind of marriage we would all want. I would hope we would want. And, and so really when you say, well, what's the difference between these houses? It all comes down to the investments that are there that are in place to have this type of house. And so I want to ask you this morning, which one represents your marriage? Some of you, maybe, uh, maybe you've already leaned in and said, which one do you think it is? Now, most men, I'll tell you this, this is from marriage counseling that I've done. Most men don't think it as bad as it really is. I'm serious. Would you all agree with that? Most women would say, no, we got, we, we're, we're, we're burning down over here. <laughs> Crash and burn. <laughs> But it is amazing our different perspectives. Maybe that'll be something you can talk about on the way home. You know, just spice it up a little bit. But, but anyway, so look at the introduction on your outline. Most homes in America are in ruins due to the breakdown of intimacy in the marriage. Now, the thing that we need to understand is that God has a plan for marriage, and it does involve intimacy. Intimacy. 
Now think about it. So many times we don't like to talk about this subject. You should have seen me at 930. That's where some of our older congregation is at 930. And many of them people helped raise me. I've known them for 30 years. And it's like looking at grandma and grandpa sitting out there. And so anyway, this is going to be, I'm I'm more in tune with you guys. Okay, is that all right? But anyway, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Okay, uh, but anyway, Ecclesiastes 9, look at what it says. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love. Now think about that. Do we live joyfully with the spouse that we love? Do we live joyfully? You know, all the time we hear, yeah, I love you. I mean, I told you that a long time ago. What makes you stop believing me now? You know, But, but really, do we? Do we love, do we joyfully love that person? How about this, Proverbs 5, rejoice with the wife of your youth and always be enraptured with her love. Does that describe your marriage? That's what God wants. That's what God's after for us when it comes to our marriage. The foundation of any home must be one of love and romance. The greatest security for a child in a home is when they see and sense the love relationship between their parents. It breeds all kinds of security. And and that whole idea of hope and promise is there in the home. So in light of that, I want you to turn to the Song of Solomon in your Bibles. It's between his uh, Ecclesiastes and the book of Isaiah. And the thing I want you to find here and what you'll see here and what you'll notice is that many times when they were putting the, the scriptures together, many people thought that this letter or this book should have been left out. I'm serious. You look on a lot of lists, it was one that they thought should have been left out. Do you know why? Because it's written in a sensual way. Do you know why? Because it is a letter that celebrates the love between a man and a woman, a man and a woman. And we're going to be looking at that today. It's also something that King Solomon wrote as an object, as a subject of love and how a husband and wife can celebrate their love for one another. Now, as you turn there, I'm sure some of you are still having a hard time, but anyway, keep going, you'll get there. But anyway, let me, let me tell you what Hollywood, Hollywood does not have a corner on intimacy. Matter of fact, they misrepresent intimacy more than they get it right. Now, now think about this. Think about what Hollywood wants us to believe. Did Lois Lane really not know that Clark Kent and Superman were the same person? I mean, really think about it. A pair of glasses and a curl, that's all you got to do? I mean, when you look at that, you're sitting there and you're like, come on, give me a little more credit than that. Now, just as obvious as that is, that's the way they miss it with intimacy too. And here's how I want to prove it. In a 30-minute show, how many of you ever noticed it? In a 30-minute show, sometimes I go as long as an hour, they can introduce a crisis, I'm talking about major crisis, and solve the crisis within the time of that show. Is that life? No, it's not life. It's not even real. And so many times we take our cues from that. How about the pictures of romance that are there? Pride and Prejudice. How many of you ladies like that show or that, that, that movie? Raise your hand. Raise, come on, ladies, raise your hand. How many of you guys like this show? Okay, all right. Well, anyway, I just wanted to say, I want to try to catch you. But anyway, I misspelled Mr. Darcy's name or said it earlier today. I said, Dorsey, women looked like they were going to kill me. And (laughs) some of you women take this way too serious. But anyway, it is, my wife tells me it is the epitome of, of intimacy and romance, that movie. 
So much so that our daughter had the music played at her wedding and that kind of thing. And so it is one of those things where you see, but many times it's not what you're seeing. Sometimes we set up the expectation of romance and intimacy in our marriage and we take our cues from Hollywood and we take, it's not real. It's not real. Could there be glimpses of it? Yes. But does it last? Some of you are sitting there saying, no, it does not last, does it? At least not like that. And so many times we have expectations that cannot be reached. Now, let me say this. Unrealistic pictures of romance and intimacy can lead to problems in marriage. We can have problems when it comes to these things. So here's what I want to do. I want us to quit taking our cues from Hollywood. I want us to take cues from God's word. There are seven biblical pictures of intimacy in scripture. I'm going to introduce them to you in just right now. So look on your outline. The first picture of intimacy is procreation, procreation. In Genesis chapter one, look here on the screen. Then God blessed them, this is Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. You see, when God brings together a husband and a wife in an expression of love, the fruit of that expression of love can be the blessing of a child. And so right out of the gate, right there in Genesis, we haven't even got out of the first chapter. We're already seeing a picture of intimacy in scripture. It's right there. It's part of God's plan all along. A second picture that we see is a, of a intimacy is a picture of a partnership. Partnership. This is the whole idea that God brings together a man and a woman to form a life together, to, to partner with each other as they go through life. How do we know this? Well, we look at Genesis chapter two. It says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable, meaning alike, but different. I'm gonna make a man comparable to him or make someone comparable to him. And so he's talking about the wife there. And so we see that this partnership, a picture of intimacy is also found in partnership. We should look at our spouse as a partner, someone that God has brought into our life to help us as we move through life. A third picture of intimacy is pleasure, pleasure. Now, of course, we're talking about sexual union between a man and his wife. Pleasure in marriage is a celebration of love between that husband and wife. The book of the Bible called the Song of Solomon is a very sensual book describing the intimacy between two lovers. The, the talk of love and romance during the days of, of, of Solomon. Now, let me just say this. Some of the language they used thousands of years ago will not translate to today. So some of you younger guys who want to go and impress the girl, don't, just, it's not going to translate that easily, okay? And I'll show you what I mean in just a moment. But, but let's look at some of this. Song of Solomon. I want, you, I want you to see it for yourself. Song of Solomon chapter two. Let's look at verse four, okay? This is the, the woman, he brought me to the banqueting house. Basically, it's the whole idea. He is celebrating his love for me. That's what she's saying. And his banner over me was love. What she's saying there, she says, I'm a, he identified me as an object of his love. And then in verse five, it says, sustain me with cakes of raisins. Now, the woman and the girl likes her cake. You see, how many of you ladies like cake? My wife loves cake. That, that's the reason she goes to weddings. She loves cake. And, 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 and matter of fact, never mind. If, if, 
her love language is me bringing cake. <laughs> that is her love language. It's got to be buttercream icing. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. I, I, don't know the, I don't know the difference. But anyway, there is a difference. But anyway, this girl loves cake. Sustain me with cakes of raisin. Refresh me with apples for I'm lovesick. His left hand is under my head. and His right hand embraces me. Song of Solomon chapter four. Let's check this out. Verse one. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Now, let me just say this. Don't try to bring that to today and put it in our region. Don't go up to her and say, your hair is like a flock of goats in the rolling hills of Kayser. As you look out... Not going to work. Not going to work. It worked back then, evidently. It gets better. Your teeth <laughs> are like a flock of shorn sheep, which have come up from the washing, every one of which, each one of the sheep, which bears twins and none is bearing among. Big teeth must have been in back then. <laughs> evidently, good teeth were hard to come by in those days. Verse four, Song of Solomon, chapter four, verse four. This really is getting better. Your neck is like the Tower of David. <laughs> now, some of you are sitting here like, what's that? It actually represents majesty. She's majestic, okay? So we can kind of see that, but it won't work today, okay? You can't say your neck is like the water tower in the center of Shelby and, and you know, it just... <laughs> Your neck is like the Tower of David built for an armory. Now that tells me there's some double chin involved here somewhere. So. <laughs> basically means she's majestic and basically she can handle the needs that are around. Song of Solomon chapter seven, verse four, your nose. Nothing good can come from your nose, can it? Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. It's the whole idea of being discerning. But again, how does that translate to today? Probably not going to get you too far. You see, many people seem to think that God wants us to have nothing to do with a physical expression of love between a man and his wife. That it's a necessary evil. No, God paints it in such a way in Scripture that it's a beautiful thing that he desires for the marriage, for the marriage between a man and a woman. And, and basically, that's the whole idea that, that it's not something that's dirty. It's not something that's far removed from spirituality. No, it's part of the relationship that God desires between a man and his wife. However, we need to understand that God, listen, promotes sex within marriage and forbids it outside of marriage. Now, some of you are like, why all the restrictions? It's the way God said, listen, everything God said, here's what we need to understand. And hopefully you've gotten this. Every, every command he's ever given is to provide for us and to protect us. What God is saying about this, when he says, no, it's intended for the marriage. It's not intended for anything else. It's for the marriage. The reason he did that is because he knows that it's such an intimate thing, that, that, that it's there to protect us. It's there to build trust within that man and that woman. And it's there to, to, to take away all the other. It's, it's just something that those two are to have 
with one another, with one another. Matter of fact, I think parents need to be careful on how they communicate the whole idea of sex with their children. I think so many times we don't want to have the subject and therefore we just don't talk about it. And I thank God that we have a student ministry that does talk about it. I think y'all just finished a series on it. And that's been going on for many years here And because we want to talk about it. We want to give teenagers and college students the proper perspective of what God desires when it comes to the intimacy between a husband and a wife. And again, God's not trying to keep us from something. He's trying to keep us for something. I think it's so important that we understand that. The Bible could, could not say it any plainer when he talks about this whole idea of, of, of sex and the, the pleasurable parts of it. When he says in Proverbs chapter five, Solomon is instructing his sons and he says this, let her fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. It literally means take pleasure in the wife of your youth. And so therefore God created sex within marriage to bring a husband and wife closer together, to bond them both physically and emotionally, to bring pleasure to the relationship. All that's intended by God. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a celebration of that one of a kind love. A fourth picture of intimacy is privilege, is privilege. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I'll be reading this in the Amplified. It's right here on the screen, Amplified Bible. It says, but because of the temptation to participate in sexual immorality, he says, because that's out there, because that's, that is uh, in the flesh, many times people go that way, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his marital duty to his wife with good will and kindness. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have exclusive authority over her own body, but the husband shares with her. And likewise, the husband does not have exclusive authority over his body, but the wife shares with him. Do not deprive each other of marital rights, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourself to unhindered prayer and fasting but come together soon after so that Satan will not tempt you to sin because of your lack of control. You see, he builds this in. I think the reason that, that this is built in and this language is in place is, is we are to help one another to stay pure. The husband has a right to, his, to the wife to be there emotionally, to emotionally connect with her so she won't seek that somewhere else. And the, the woman is to provide for the husband that he may not seek what he's looking. You say, well, yeah, I've tried that and it still happened. Well, it's not the way it's supposed to be. But God wants us to find fulfillment. Listen, you know what he's saying? I want you to find fulfillment in one another when it comes to this, when it comes to the idea of sexual union. Paul is saying that husbands and wives have a duty, a duty to give sexual satisfaction to one another. John MacArthur states in his commentary on 1 Corinthians concerning this passage that failure for Christian husbands and wives to submit sexually to the authority of their spouse brings dishonor to God because it dishonors marriage. And of course, he does give an exception in verse five, except for times where that spouse may be attempting to connect with God over some that they need discernment over. You see, sexual union between a husband and a wife is both a privilege 
and pleasure given by God that should never be used as a form of manipulation. You see, there's too much at stake when it comes to this union. And so many times I, I, I taught the people and sometimes what we find out is the wife or the husband is, is using, using this as some form of manipulation in relationship. Did you know that the Bible actually says about this relationship, this sexual union? Listen, that it's sacred and it's to be kept sacred, which means it needs to stay there which means there needs to be no manipulation that surrounds it. It's something that God has ordained for marriage. A fifth picture of intimacy is practical. Some practical implications of intimacy have nothing to do with sexual union. As a matter of fact, if the only intimacy you share with your spouse is sexual unity, then your marriage is not healthy and it's not all that God desires it to be. Let me tell you, one of the greatest privileges of being in the same church for almost 30 years is I've had the privilege to watch the same people and I've watched them grow. Some of the men, this is a really cool thing. Some of the men who are 75 now, when I showed up, they were 45. And when you're 45, you still feel like man's man, you know, you still feel like you got something to prove and, you know, got the chip on your shoulder sometimes, you know. But you know what happens when you start to see those men as they begin to age and and all of a sudden they're 75 years old and to watch them be so precious with their wife who's frail now. And then that wife who's taking care of her husband. Y'all, there is an intimacy there that far exceeds anything else I think there is. And you just see that man become all that she needs him, her, all she needs him to be in taking care of her. Matter of fact, when I was preaching this message at 9.30, there were about three young, older couples sitting back there in that corner. That's exactly what's going on. Some have already died and gone on, but there was a privilege. And you know what I always hope for my wife? That I will be the man that steps up when she needs me to be that kind of man that deals with her in a kind and delicate way to provide for her when she has absolutely nothing else to offer me, that I can be that man. And y'all, that's intimacy. That's the practicality of intimacy. It goes a little further than this. When the honeymoon phase of marriage wears off, I mean, we get wrapped up in the day-to-day errands, the jobs, our careers, our marriage has to grow in its intimacy. We, we literally, listen, we, we literally have to carve out time. We have to literally guard the times of intimacy between a husband and a wife. But there's many of you sitting here today and, you're, and we're gonna talk about it in just a moment. You're depleted. You give it yourselves totally to other things and you have no time for one another. That's not the way God designed it. That's not the way he wants it for you. Practically, what can it look like? First Corinthians chapter 13. I read this at a wedding last night. From the Amplified Bible, it says, love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful and is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not provoked nor overly sensitive and easily angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. It does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail. Look at, listen to this. Love bears all things, regardless of what comes, believes all things, looks for the best in one another, hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times, endures all things without weakening. And then it says, love never fails. It never fades nor ends. 
Here's what I hear a lot of times when uh, sometimes couples and, and it, it, it plays, they come to me and they basically want me to bless their separation or their divorce. And, and you're not going to get that from me. I, I've seen what God can do to the most broken relationships there are. I saw what he did in my own life. Many of you may not know her testimony. Some of you do. 16 years old, we were married. She was two months pregnant, high school. No one would have given our marriage a chance. We didn't even give our marriage a chance. We, I mean, we got into this thing. And I watched God do something that only he could do through me. And only he could do through my wife. And to this day... Do we still fight over it and get in the way sometimes? Yeah, we still make those stupid mistakes we always did. But you know something we've learned? No, we're in it for the long haul. We're in it for the long haul. Honey, you just got to put up with me. (laughs) And Lord knows I put up with you. (laughs) But we do. It's practical. But I hear people all the time, and here's what those, well, we just, we just kind of grown apart. We'll grow back together. I'm serious. Discover one another once again. We did. I hear people say, we're not the same people we were when we got married. No one is. I, I'm not like I was when I was 16 years old. I'm a 54-year-old man just getting ready to be a senior adult. <laughs> According to this church, you can be 55 and be a senior adult anyway. <laughs> I didn't make that rule, by the way. But, but here's what I want you to understand. Marriage is a bond between a man and a woman. Marriage is a bond between a man and a woman and their God. And God has given us beautiful pictures of what that intimacy can be and how it can be celebrated right there in his word. And y'all, we make it complicated. And sometimes we have the wrong expectations when it comes to that marriage and that intimacy and all that. We, did, we need to take our cues from God's word, not from Mrs. Phil or whoever's out there and Oprah and the girls. And, and we, no, we need, to, we need to look to God's word. A sixth picture of intimacy is Perfection. I want you to think about it. Did you know that there's the whole idea of perfection for our marriage? And do you know what the Bible says? Turn to Ephesians chapter five. This will be the last place I turn. Stay in Ephesians till the end, but go there. Ephesians chapter five. Here in Ephesians chapter five, we have the perfect display of intimacy. And here's a snapshot. This is what it looks like. Here it is. Ephesians five. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives. Here's what it means. Seek the highest good for her and surround her with a caring, unselfish love. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he may sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word of God. So that in turn, he might present the church to himself in a glorious splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be wholly set apart from God and blameless. So basically what he's saying here, he's saying, husbands, you had the responsibility to do all that you can to bring your wife along, to, 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 to care for her as Christ cares for the church. Then he says, Verse 28 explains that. Even so, husbands, 
should and are morally obligated to love their own wives as a being, in a sense, their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own body, but instead he nourishes and protects and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Y'all, this is the perfect picture of intimacy. There will not be a more perfect picture than what we read here as it relates to the relationship between a man and a wife. It should mirror the relationship between the church and Jesus Christ or what the relationship Christ has for the church. A final picture of intimacy is perpetual. In Ephesians chapter five, verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined and be faithfully devoted to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is the most unique relationship here on earth. I want you to think about it. We have great friends who come and go in our lives. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You've had friends and you could pick up the phone right now and it'd be like y'all were just, there was no, maybe you hadn't talked in five years, but it's like that friendship's so real. It means something to you. Your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your children. But there's one relationship God says, you're gonna keep this one until somebody dies. And it's that union between a husband and a wife. And God says, this is a perpetual thing. This is, he, he basically is saying, this is something I'm going to do my greatest work through you with is through that marriage. How many of you uh, realize that marriage can bring the best out of you or the worst out of you? You've been there? I, I think I had both experiences this past week. So, <laughs> But it is. It's one of those things where I believe God says, listen, I'm going to use this relationship to do great things in your life. I'm going to, listen, young people, I'm going to bring someone into your life who's going to complete you, that's going to be there that you can partner with them as you go through life. And yes, you may raise children, godly children. Yes, you may do this, but listen, I'm going to build it in such a way that this will be a bond unlike any other bond you'll ever have. Even greater than a mother with a child. He says, this one takes preeminence. That's pretty heavy when you think about it. And that's what he's talking about with this intimacy. Just as we began this sermon with the key of surviving the challenges of marriages through this intimacy, but many lose the bond of intimacy. How many of you have, how many of you have lived through some of that? Yeah, it's okay to raise your hand. We, I think we all would admit that. What, what causes this? What are the reasons couples lose their intimacy? Here's how couples, here's how couples express it. Where has a love gone? You ever ask that question? How about this? Why doesn't he or she love me anymore? What creates this? What happens here? Number one, it runs on, on a personal deficiency. They, the stay-at-home mom turns her focus to her children. The, work, the, the mom who works outside the home attempting to balance her career with the needs of her home and her children. The man who puts all his energy into getting ahead in his job you put all this together and you have walls of rejection, you have walls of separation, and guess what? You will have loss of intimacy. It will happen. It happens to all of us if we don't work hard at it. Here's another one. How do couples lose their intimacy? Encounters a crisis. I've walked with people who have gone through severe crisis. I mean, crisis that I don't know that I could handle if I had to, I mean, it, it, I mean, losing a child, I can't imagine that. 
Losing a spouse? I can't even get my mind around that. And all of a sudden, there's this, there's this, this focus that on the child or the, the pull between taking care of parents and their own children. And, and the crisis can come in and, and take center stage in a couple's life. And, and it squelches and kills the intimacy. But somehow, it must be resurrected. It's the lifeblood of that relationship. Reasons couple lose, couples lose their intimacy becomes bored. Stuck in a rut. Let me tell you something. The older my, my wife and I get, and the more years we're empty nesters, the deeper the rut goes. <laughs> this week we're going to be on vacation, but any week that doesn't include vacation, we can tell you within five minutes of what we'll be doing each afternoon. Can. Matter of fact, we normally have the meal eaten and ready for bed by a little before six. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. We call it just being comfortable with one another. But occasionally she says, maybe we need to try something else. I'm like, why, honey, why? <laughs> but sometimes you get bored. I'll tell you how to fix that in a moment. Hurts one another. Walls of disappointment. Things that we think are unforgivable unforgivable, expectations that are not met. And by the way, we need to be careful with expectations. How about this? Reasons couples lose their intimacy, invest no longer. They, don't, they, don't know, they no longer invest in the marriage. It's just like the houses. Well, as long as you can live in it, as long as, as, long as the roof's not leaking. Uh-uh. When's the last time? Let me ask you. When's the last time you invested in your marriage? What does that even look like? I'll show you in just a moment, Okay. But here's what we need to understand. Intimacy just doesn't happen. What brought you together to become husband and wife in the beginning will not keep you together forever. Things change. As we said before, you will be a different person than you were a decade ago. She will, he will, everyone. Conditions are different. Children are now older. Different seasons of life come. The looks, oh my goodness, the looks disappear. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you have to look for different things. You, you have to find it in other ways. So ways to rebuild intimacy. Spice up the ordinary. I've given you this list before, but you need it again. I've, I've seen your marriage. Spice up the ordinary. Get out of the rut. I've kidded with you this before. Everybody in Cleveland County, vacation, where are we going? We're going to Myrtle Beach. <laughs> we can Myrtle Beach. That's heaven right there. Go somewhere different. Go to Garden City this year, Surfside. <laughs> <laughs> Mix it up a little bit. Blow her mind. Share enjoyable activities. My wife and I made a lot of mistakes, but there's one thing we did. We, we learned that we needed our time together. And we, we had a date night. I think that's important. That, that's one way you can't invest in your marriage. Uh, we didn't normally go to McDonald's when we did it. <laughs> you don't have to go anywhere very expensive. Just go do something. Go do something together. Go walk a trail or something. Um, it's important that you make investments. 
We would take weekends and go do things together, just the two of us. The kids, they'll be okay. I mean, you just got to find ways to invest in the marriage, accomplish things together. Here's a third one, work at personal development. One thing you can do, if you have to plead, do it anyway. Ask your spouse, please don't quit trying. <laughs> please, please don't quit trying. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about? Just work at personal development. Become an interesting person in marriage, to be married to. Accomplish personal goals. Work out together. I had one lady come after at 9.30 and said, I, I'm just trying to walk. <laughs> Financial goals, learn something new. I met an 80-some-year-old man the other day that's, treating, that's, that's teaching himself a new language. I'm just trying to get English right. I really, I, I mean, just do something new, become more interesting. Here's another, ways to rebuild intimacy, discover one another. Discover one another. We've already admitted we're not the same people we used to be. Discover one another. Our likes may have changed. Our dislikes may have changed. Who we are, the, the, many things may have changed. Don't assume, get to know. So how do you do that? You invest in the marriage. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says husbands. Isn't it amazing how he always puts the emphasis on the husbands? It's like he expects us to fix a lot. We are called to do that. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, speaking of the wife, with understanding. Now, you know we'll never understand our wives. But we are to pursue understanding. Understand her. Where can I start? Learn what's her greatest need. The Bible says, you've heard me say this a million times. Y'all, when I figured this out, life got easier. I started figuring it out. Listen to what it says. Paul tells us what we're talking about here. Ephesians 5, Nevertheless, let each one of you, you husbands in particular, so love, so cherish his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. He identified her greatest needs. Look there. Husbands want to be respected. You show me a husband who's respected by his wife and the wife, and she knows how to communicate that respect, you'll see a husband that really feeling good about the relationship. You show me a wife that feels cherished, her greatest need, she's feeling good about the relationship. When that, when that husband knows how to show her and demonstrate to her that he cherishes her, that's an investment in marriage. Here's another one. This one changed my life also in my marriage. Love languages. There's a book written on it. It will change your life when you figure out what motivates your wife. Look, look, look at what, words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service. This is my wife's, by the way. I think I have the toughest one to fulfill. I really do. Yesterday, she gave me permission because I asked her at 9.30 if I could say it. She knew exactly what I was talking about. We're cleaning up the house. I have my chores. She has her chores. So I'm doing, I heard the dryer go off. I'm going in there to get my clothes. I'm going to fold me some clothes. You know, I'm walking in there. I walk by, she's vacuuming. She said, I'd rather die than vacuum. I just kept walking. Here's, here's the way my wife would put it. If I went to her and said, honey, how can I show you I love you? Clean the house. 
That's harder than anything else on that list. I'm serious. Words of affirmation. Honey, you sure look good now. Woo. Looking better and better every day. Thank you for not quitting. <laughs> Quality time. Hey, why don't we go off and get something to eat tonight? Receiving gifts. Here's some, here's some, birth, here's some wedding cake. <laughs> Physical touch. Come here. Acts of service. Clean the house. I got the wrong end on this deal. How many of you other men, do you think your wife is acts of service? Raise your hand. Am I the, oh, okay, good. I thought I was the only one in here. I was like, I got ripped off. So anyway, <laughs> discover that. Discover that. Ways to build intimacy. Forgive one another. This is the biggest. This is the big deal. Forgive one another. I gotta go through this quickly. Ephesians 4, verse 29. I can't overlook it. Do not let unwholesome words ever come out of your mouth. Foul, profane, worthless, vulgar words. Did you know there are things that my wife and I have said to each other or were said many years ago that the enemy still replays in our minds that still affects me. She's asked me to forgive her. I've forgiven her and vice versa. And I'm here to say, be careful what you plant in the other person's mind because it's, a, it's an attempt for the enemy to try to breed bitterness and an unforgiving spirit. Be careful with those words, but only let such speak as it is good for building up others according to the need and the occasion so that it will be a blessing to those who hear you speak. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How do you, how do you grieve the Spirit of God? When you go against the type of work he's trying to do in your life, that's how you grieve the Holy Spirit. And if God is trying to do something through the Holy Spirit in your marriage and you're constantly opposed to it and constantly against it, guess what? You're grieving the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, let me tell you this. The Spirit of God, when I have yielded to Him, has made me a better husband, a better man, and a better father. It's important that we understand that. By whom you were sealed and marked. He's doing a great work for the day of redemption. Let, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, that means perpetual animosity, resentment, strife, fault finding and slander be put away from you along with every other kind of malice, all spitefulness, verbal abuse, malvalence, malvolent, bad violence. Anyway, be kind and helpful to one another, tenderhearted, that means compassionate and understanding. And here it is, forgive giving one another readily and freely, just as God in Christ also forgave you. I've heard some people say, well, he's talking to the church there. You are the church. Well, you're talking about marriage. Are you kidding me? That's where it needs to be most. There's not many days of my wife, she has to forgive me about every day. I have to forgive her. You say, y'all messed up. Yes, we are. You are too. <laughs> we got to forgive one another. Application. God desires that couples enjoy one another and find intimacy. Listen, at every level. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. I want you to go home today and I, wanna, I want you to ask your spouse, if you're a real man, you'll ask her, 
Which one of those houses represented our marriage? Which one do you think? I dare you, just, just see. Ask her what she thinks. Listen, Gary Smalley says women have marriage manuals in them. They don't abide by them all the time, but they know how to make a relationship work. Men, ask your wife. Where's the intimacy? Do we even have any? I want to challenge you young people. Realize, you need to realize that the future relationships, listen, the decisions you're making today will affect future relationships. They do. I'm living proof. I know. Choose wisely. Choose God's way. I want to ask the ushers to come forward if they will. Let's pray. Would your heads bow and your eyes closed? Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, I think all of us in this room when it comes to marriage would probably say at some point in the marriage we're in right now, we've all been to the points of desperation. We've all been to the points of just not knowing exactly what to do. We've all been there where we wondered if the other one really even cared or even noticed who we were. Father, I pray for the couples in this room, number one, that they would repent. If, if there's things that need to be confessed or repented, that that would be taken care of, that the Bible says so that times of refreshing may come, that the restoration of intimacy may return. And it may take some work for some of our marriage. Maybe there's some things that need to be worked through. Maybe there's some walls there that are bigger than we ever imagined and taller and wider. Maybe we're pursuing things or putting too many things in the way of the intimacy, the fact we're no longer investing in our relationship. Father, I pray for all the marriages in this room to take notice of what's going on. Father, I pray for college students and high school students and they've got a big old life sitting out there in front of them. Lord, help them to realize that these decisions that they're making today, the times that they're tempted and they fall into temptation and the times that they're making poor choices, help them to realize it will affect future relationships. Lord, help them to get their minds around that. Father, we just come today and Lord, we desire, I hope every family in here, we desire to be all you desire us to be and that we can receive all you want us to receive. Whether it's the privilege or pleasure of sexual intimacy within a marriage or whatever it may be, Father, Lord, help us to never want to stop striving for what you want to give us. And Father, I pray you take this offering and use it as only you can to help us build the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.